Coming to you from the red, white, and blue. You're now tuned in to the number one crypto podcast on the planet. This is Crypto Conquest. Discussing everything cryptocurrency and the evolution of financial systems to the blockchain. Now, here's your host, John Wingate. All right, all right, all right. Am I am I muted? What's going on here? I hope everybody can hear me. I hope everybody can hear me. But uh, if you can't, let us know. I hope you can hear me. But we certainly uh, we certainly are ready to go. So I know there's a lot of people listening in right now. Um, you know, again, if you're having any issues, we're doing a live stream today. Uh, lots going on, a lot of a uh, lot of new things happening, um, and I wanted to bring on Tim Halderson, who is also in the crypto space, has been for a long time. Uh, he's somebody that has a very very strong understanding of the current the current uh, uh, status of the markets. And what we wanted to do today was we wanted to bring you guys a chat that was focused on the current status of sanctions. So as Tim is jumping on here, I'm going to kind of lay a groundwork for what we want to talk about. The major issue here right now that I think it's worth getting some understanding and context around because there's so there's so much misinformation floating around with regard to what governments are doing, what governments can do, how exchanges are responding, uh, what the role of crypto is in this um, you know in this current state of uh, you know as we evolve from traditional financial systems to these new financial systems, there's certainly a, uh, a lack of information and a, and a plethora of misinformation that I continue to see, it, it, you know, and it makes me, uh, it, it really gives me heartburn a lot uh, to see this type of stuff. But, you know, we're going to cover it today. We're going to go through it in depth and we're going to make sure that by the end of this podcast, you are well-versed and you have a complete understanding of what it will take, you know, to make sure you have what you need to navigate no matter where you are in the world. Um, some people, we have, we have people in our bank social community that have, you know, they're all over the world. And so the, these are for, you know, certainly in the United States, some of this stuff is applicable. Hey, Tim, how's it going? All good here. All good here. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, we're good. We got you on. So, everybody, this is Tim, Tim Halderson. Uh, Tim and I have, have discussed quite a few times uh, different aspects of, of crypto, different aspects of blockchain. He runs a company called Lunar Strategy, which is one of the top marketing and PR firms focused on crypto um uh, I'll, I'll give you a few seconds to kind of introduce yourself to the community tim yeah thank thank you so much um so yeah my name is uh, tim and i started in the crypto world in 2017 and back then i was actually working uh, in uh, vietnam at an otc crypto trading place where they were trading crypto for cash and then over the last few years, I've, I've been working in marketing, so PR for different crypto companies, and um, based in Europe, so a little bit away from the US, and uh, was super happy here to jump in and talk with uh, John about about the latest that is going on. Very intense two weeks, and there has been a lot of noise around it. Uh, like you said there in the beginning. So excited to be here and let's 
let's go ahead. Let's, let's get into it because I think it's really important for, you know, information. There's two real paths of information in any, uh, you know, media war, which is what we're in right now. There is a path that's filled with facts. And then there's a path, you know, I, I won't even say that, that these people are doing it intentionally. We can certainly say, though, that they're doing it from a place of uh, misunderstanding or ignorance in a lot of cases. And, and so, you know, Tim, I think when, when uh, we talked this morning and we thought that, you know, we needed to educate the communities on what exactly is going down, how sanctions affect your crypto, how to keep your crypto safe, um, you know, really the components of this that are, that are interesting and the components of this that are just FUD. Right, because I think there's a lot of yeah. fud going around right now uh, from from media outlets, uh, from governments, um, and it's causing a lot of uncertainty. Um, a good place to probably start is, you know, if we just look at the timeline. Really, the, the the big bulk of this communication started coming out around the Canadian truckers. So you're familiar with what happened in Canada, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so in Canada, a bunch of people got together protesting uh, mandates, uh, government-forced mandates, and, you know, people, bank accounts were getting frozen. Traditional financial mechanisms were getting locked down. I think people had some GoFundMe or similar equivalencies um, that they were trying to raise funds through. Those got shut down. What, what happened very quickly is that people realized that this decentralized network of value, i.e. the Bitcoin network, um, and I think other tokens were most likely uh, donated as well, but specifically we'll talk about Bitcoin because I think there's a lot of uh, cross-pollination and applicability across most of these other chains, you know, including Ethereum and Binance. Maybe not so much Binance, but uh, certainly the decentralized ones. But if we look at what happened in Canada, there was very quickly an understanding from government officials that this, this uh, you know, community was going to be able to fund themselves regardless of what the Canadian government did. And there was very quickly a move by the Canadian government, and I think, I think you're starting to see this all over, to try and deter people from utilizing the Bitcoin network. Um, and I think one very powerful statement was made by Nunchuck, where they came out and they said, you know, I, it doesn't sound like you guys understand de the way decentralized uh, uh, systems work. Um, our wallet is just a viewer. So I talk about this all the time. There's a big misconception about the difference between a application that allows you to see and interact with your wallet and the actual wallet itself. So maybe we can, maybe we can start there. So, um, you know, what, are, what is your take on the difference between something like, you know, I use trust wallet, I use uh, our bank social wallet. What is your take? And, and MetaMask fits into this uh, equation. What is your take yeah. on something like, you know, the difference there. So what is a wallet and what is a wallet viewer, a wallet interactivity application? Why don't you give us your perspective on that? Yeah, I think, I think it depends like a little bit where you come from. When, when I started the, a few years ago, then it was more crypto was a very niche kind of, uh, well, kind of currency. And then it was always not your keys, not your crypto. Not your keys, not your crypto. As soon as you let an exchange store it, it's not your crypto. And what we see today is that it has gone from being more of a decentralized payment mechanism that is not possible to censor to that people are, the, the, the large, like the masses are using exchanges. Why? For convenience. And this is the thing, like... Um, when you have like an, an like an wallet that is not uh, centralized from an exchange, if you lose your seed phrase or your private key, your money is gone. And so I think what has happened now is that people have started to come into crypto, believing that it's not possible to censor it. And by doing so, they have started using the different kinds of centralized exchanges, 
Coinbase, Binance, Croc, Kraken, Gemini. But what we see now is that the exchanges follow the same rules as the banks almost. And as soon as you have your crypto on an exchange, the exchange can just uh, freeze your assets. So I think we are seeing more the transition to to more decentralized options. Um, but it's a very interesting thing to see because you can see both the good and the bad. So some people are praising that it was possible to donate crypto to, to the truckers and otherwise other people are condemning it. So it's kind of like a, a little bit of a war. Let, let's talk. Let's talk about the. Let's talk about that condemning factor real quick because I, I think that's a very interesting FUD mechanism that governments and certain you know officials and, and even people out there who don't really understand it are trying to you know they're trying to utilize some type of fear mechanism. Uh, but you know if we compare, so the, the biggest things I hear, and please feel free to add to this list if you you know have something else. But the biggest things I continue to hear are things like, well. You know, crypto can be used for illicit things because it's uh, it's all you know anonymous. But you know, I'm I'm quite uh, versed on the technology, and I would say that for the first time ever in the history of humanity, there's more traceability, trackability, accountability, uh, recoverability. Uh, what other abilities can we can we pile on there that make crypto the the least <laughs> capable? Uh, currency or form of exchange to be used for illicit activities. Uh, just look at all the hacks that have happened where they've been able to uh, trace, track, recover, uh, and return the the currency to the to the owners. I mean, just the hack that happened a few week or you know a couple of years ago, they were able to completely uh, track and find those people and get the money. Um, you know, there are certainly criminal organizations that do not want to use Bitcoin for these exact purposes and prefer cash prefer you know paper cash because it truly is uh untraceable and undetectable and you know black covert ops um so i find that argument immediately immediately out of the gate just null and void what, what are your thoughts on that so here i i hear people talking both sides i think if you're a sophisticated uh for example, person that knows about uh, all of kind of the Bitcoin mixers uh, and all like different different kinds of uh, more anonymous currencies, as well as um, using some of these like I think it's called Tornado Cash and some of these other currencies that are actually made to prevent the traceability. So I, I, I here I can see both sides because there is well they're made to obscure it they're made to obscure it you know they they don't they don't completely eliminate somebody's ability to trace they they make it slightly harder it is you know I, I, me looking at it from yeah. a technology perspective it certainly doesn't eliminate traceability like let's take tornado cash for example tornado cash I think at the at the widest um, spread of amount of wallets it spreads to, uh, I think it's the 100 ETH. So, you know, people, they wait until a pool of 100 ETH fills up, and then all the people that put in that pool get distributions out of that pool randomly. But even those distributions are uh, tracked. Now, this is maybe a way to move small money, Tim, is my thought. You know, yeah. I mean, if you go look at something like Tornado Cash, if you want to move one or two ETH, it's very easy to do that, but a criminal organization, and I've, I've talked with attorneys about this, a criminal organization does not move money in one or two ETH chunks because even those take a long time. Uh, you have to wait yeah. for that tornado cash pool to fill up. It's not a good mechanism for, uh, for doing money laundering, for doing criminal activities, just because it, it's, uh, it's not a fast process and it's not a very uh, a big money uh, mover process. And, and then, that's just the facts of it. Yeah. But then you could also go into uh, decentralized exchanges uh, where you have seen quite a lot of the larger hacks that right away afterwards, they go into a decentralized exchange and then they do a few swaps between currencies and then basically it's impossible to track. So I've, I, I can hear both sides here. 
I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it could, can be depending on the sophistication of the person doing it and like how. But I'm not saying that that necessarily is uh, is a bad thing. For example, like um, for for me running a business, for every single client we work with, we need to do a KYC. So this is the rules in Europe. We need to send them like a link and then we use a thing called block pass and then they will submit their id uh, proof of uh, like an address and then they also need to fill out like they, they would be matched against like a sanction list as well sure. as um, as well as uh, they need to answer some questions even in this scenario for me to be able to to transfer the crypto back to fiat again I still need to send them uh, to send like the exchange the invoice that I issued to the client. So I'm not saying and that's necessarily. The, the, yeah, that's the key, that's the real key here is that right now, you know, for this to really be valuable for criminal uh, organizations, eventually the the money has to come out in fiat, and that's the part that uh, to me is is very difficult right now to do. Um, you know, I've, I've seen some money laundering schemes, uh, people paying big bucks for getting their Bitcoin out of Bitcoin and into cash. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, I, I think the biggest point here is that's no more, uh, anonymous than people doing cash transactions for drugs or other illicit activities. I don't see it as being any worse than, ca than physical cash is, I guess, my my underlying point to all this. Yeah. I think if we go back to what's going on right now, then it's more the politics. So I, I think right exactly. now, most of the politicians understand that, that they can all more or less always trace the on-ramp to fiat. But right now, when they're blocking even the fiat transactions, that's where it gets very, very tricky. And right now, if... Um, and this is what you can see, like, for example, in, in, in Russia right now, people are getting more in Russia right now. There was a, this was two, two, three days ago. Uh, there was a premium of around 20%. Yeah, I heard about Bitcoin that. Bitcoin in uh, ruble, their own currency. That means that people are paying in, in, uh, in dollars. They're paying around 55K per Bitcoin. And this is something that you could see, for example, uh, when I was working as on an OTC uh, Bitcoin coffee shop in Vietnam a few years ago, they also had in Korea very, very strict rules against buying Bitcoin. So what you saw then was that people went with actually with cash or bank transfers to other countries, and then they could pay like a premium of 20%, 30%, more than the market rate because it's so hard to get access to Bitcoin in those places. And that well, that's how, uh, isn't that how Sam Bankman Freed made his money early on was playing the arbitrage play between countries where it was easy to get Bitcoin with fiat and countries where it was hard. Yep. And he's, he's I think he's worth, I think it was worth $30 billion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good it's a good business um <laughs> and also increasing the liquidity because that's what you could see in a lot of the asian countries where the liquidity was very low and the arbitrage between the on-ramp from fiat to crypto was very hard due to regulation and so on but i think this is the like this is what will be the deal breaker because okay criminal activity Super important, but it's very hard to police. But as start as when you see that people can use the money to avoid sanctions and avoid political decisions, this is where the real danger steps in. Because then the politicians can have a real incentive to, uh, to like uh, set up different rules and regulate cryptocurrencies. Because well, let, let's sure they can, they can, but, but let's not talk about what they can try to do. Let's talk about 
what they actually can do. Let's let's shift our conversation a little bit because we could talk about potential outcomes all day, but let's talk about what they actually could do. So I'm going to make a statement right now that's very, you know, clear and cut. There's really, with the exception of shutting off the internet, there's really nothing they can do to stop the transfer of crypto worldwide. Would you agree with that? I think this depends on what percentage of people that are using, for example, decentralized wallets. Uh, you, you could read today about MetaMask uh, blocking people. So MetaMask is also like a decentralized wallet. Well, let, let, hold on. Let me, let, let me, no, it's not. So let me, let me make a, a statement here too, because I think this is where I started in the beginning and this is where people. So when I first started using Bitcoin in 2010, there was no wallet. It was all done via command line. So you took your private key and public key and you interacted with the, the uh, decentralized public blockchain via command line. Okay. So your command line was your uh, MetaMask. Now what has happened is there are, you know, we call MetaMask decentralized, but it's really not. It's a group of developers that are building software and they succumb to, like we saw, the, the rules and regulations, which I'm completely fine with. At the end of the day, I know, and, and you're right, I mean, this is a small percentage of the overall community and user base, but I know that I can create or go on my my computer, my personal computer, on my command line, and I can continue to act with any blockchain that I utilize through the command line, regardless of a wallet. And I think the other thing that is underestimated here is the ability for anonymous users to continue to spin up, um, um, you know, open source software that supplements a MetaMask. Or, and I think a good example of this is the way things like Pirate Bay and, you know, uh, software sites have proliferated uh, every corner of the internet. And there's really, there hasn't been a way to take them down. Every time they take down one, another one pops up somewhere else. Every time they take down one, another one pops up somewhere else. And so it really comes down to, to your point, I think, you know, the community that supports it. As long as that doesn't go away, I don't see a way for governments, technologically speaking, to eliminate, you know, certainly they could reduce the amount of transactions by closing down centralized exchanges, forcing some people who adhere to the software policies to take software down. But at the end of the day, as long as there are, you know, developers, anonymous developers who just as it's easy to be anonymous, uh, you know, uh, on the blockchain and move stuff around through mixers and tumblers and all these other mechanisms, decentralized exchanges. Uh, certainly, the same exists in anonymity, uh, you know, within the within the World Wide Web uh, for, for for people who know what they're doing. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think that's you know really where the the both good and bad of crypto is is that you know it's it's to me. Uh, unless you're aware of some way to technologically stop it. And I'll tell you another thing too. I saw a project that was released, an open source project that was released a couple days ago, which I think is fantastic. It, it wraps uh, traffic, Bitcoin, this is specifically for Bitcoin. It wraps Bitcoin traffic packages so that they're untraceable through packet sniffing. So, you know, uh, if you're familiar with how, how networks transmit data, they split big chunks of data into very tiny packets, and then people can sniff those packets. If you watch a router in some office or something, you can sniff those packets and constitute reconstitute what the message was about, or even you don't even have to get all the packets. You can just get a certain amount of them and see what type of data it is. Is it an image? Is it a you know PDF? Uh, you can certainly grab headers and see what type of data is being transferred. Well, they're now wrapping Bitcoin transactions uh, much in, in a similar way the Tor network works, uh, where it's uh, the, the packets are distributed. Sure, it takes you longer to pull up a page, but um, I think that as more governments try to push back against this, you're going to just have a, a, another proliferation 
of smart people who are able to completely circumvent every measure put in place, with the exception of shutting off the internet. And I would even argue that it, we saw in Afghanistan, Israel created a technology uh, maybe 10 years ago that allows somebody without an internet connection, uh, so a group or a network of phones or devices with NFC near-field communication, there are a few other technologies that can be used. So essentially, let's say we don't have internet between you and me. My device can talk to your device. Your device can talk to another device. And as you move through the city, it eventually finds where it needs to go or it finds an internet node that it can connect to, that a device is connected to, gets the information out and gets the information back in. And Afghanistan recently is, is an example of how this was used. So even shutting down the internet at this point, if I want to send money from me to Tim, it might take a day, but there certainly is the technology available. So you would almost have to do an EMP at this point to stop blockchain, in my opinion, specifically Bitcoin and some of the bigger ones. What is your thought on that? Yeah. I'm going to let you when talk you for a while. Go ahead. Yeah, no. When you phrase it like that, I completely agree. Uh, myself, I'm coming more from like the, the use cases and, of course, from like the how easy it is to use and so on. So from, from that standpoint, yes, but then it would lose almost all of its value because what gives a currency value is the community and the, the people in the community. And most people would never be able to go through such length, lengths to be able to do a transaction because when it was only like peer-to-peer -peer, people sitting with a terminal, then the price of Bitcoin was less than a dollar. It was virtually nothing. Why? Because the community and the infrastructure and the network was very small. So I, I understand like that, that side of things. Um, I think right now more and more companies are building products similar to the... <clears throat> open source software uh, of like the Canadian, what were called non nunchucks. Yep. Um, where basically they build out themselves from the equation. So they build out themselves, which means that they, they don't have the keys. They can't censor wallets. They can't do things like that. And also when you see the more and more exchanges are creating decentralized wallets, you also see the CEO of Binance saying that he is using Trust Wallet more or less. Like he says that he uses this a lot. And when you see more of the like the, the industry leaders advocating for more uh, options where the crypto is not stored on an exchange, I think that is a good a good sign. And when more and more people move it move it away from exchanges, then I think it creates a balance where the government kind of understand that a, a complete ban will not work because it only kind of like a complete ban on crypto would only limit the ordinary people while the criminals would still not have stored their crypto in the exchanges. So I think that the, for example, crimin, the people that are using it for illegal things, most of them will never store their crypto on a centralized exchange. Why? Because... Yeah, it's just like the concept... It. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's just like the concept of trying to, and I know this is controversial, but ban guns so that criminals don't get guns. That doesn't work. Yeah. It's, it, it, it is Sorry, kind continue. of like that because on the centralized exchanges, it's only the, the criminals that doesn't understand how, like, how crypto works that will put it there. Like on an exchange, if I put money there, I need to do KYC. I need to do, fill out my passport. I need to fill out, give them everything. So Binance have everything on me. What would happen if I started to do illegal transactions from my exchange the bank uh, the government could just call binance ask binance 
okay, so what? Uh, who's behind this wallet? And then they would arrest me right away. That doesn't make sense. So I think that there is like a, like a balance right now between the exchanges. And that's also one thing you saw now when the, the sanctions were told Coinbase, Binance, and some of the largest exchanges to freeze all uh, Russian people's assets. All of the banks said, of course, we will freeze the assets right away. But what you saw was that the crypto Coinbase said no, Binance said no, and they said, we will not, um, we will not punish ordinary citizens. So I think that it's, it's an interesting like, phase we are in because now the governments are coming to a very tricky situation where they are regulate, not regulate, little bit regulation, over-regulating, and also the fear of, fear of losing out on technology development. So it's a very interesting time, and we will see what... I'm very, I'm, I'm actually disappointed in these exchanges because this is, to me, this is a greed move. Um, you know, like, for example, as a bank in the United States, there's something called OFAC, the Office of Foreign Something Something, okay? But basically what OFAC is for is for setting sanctions and uh, making sure that institutions are adhering to sanctions of foreign uh, governments and, you know, tracking who spends what and if it's coming from out of the country. So, you know, by Coinbase saying, but but let me give an example of how it worked for a regular bank. So I'm part of a, you know, as Bank Social and Financial, we're connected with several different banks. We got a notice of about a week and a half that said, hey, on this date, we're going to stop accepting transfers, wires. So tell your customers to make appropriate moves, Okay. In the same way, I think it would have been more beneficial to crypto as a whole to say, you know what, you know, we're Coinbase, we believe in crypto, go ahead and get your crypto off of our exchange if you live in these OFAC sanctioned countries so it's safe. And they still abide by OFAC sanctions because at the end of the day, we have to understand and we have to accept that, you know, government, some government control is warranted, necessary, and good, okay? There's certainly, we can argue for days about how governments overreach sometimes, but but for Coinbase to put their profits ahead of people, because here's the, here's the ultimate reality, okay? By, by telling, giving Russians false hope, okay, that if they keep their crypto on their exchange, they can continue to do business, that's false hope. Tomorrow, okay, tomorrow, the U.S. government can come in, shut down and seize every single one of Coinbase's uh, servers, and then what happens to your crypto as a Russian? Coinbase just falsely, you know, pushed you into a situation, made you feel comfortable, and you just lost all your crypto because of that. I think it's a, I think it's a terrible move by you know they're trying to paint it in this light of oh for the people well if you were for the people you'd create a decentralized wallet like bank socialists have and you would encourage people to use a decentralized storage mechanism to truly be liberated it's bull it's bullshit if you ask me what are your thoughts on that it's it's an interesting thing because as a business uh, you're always like kind of beholden to so many stakeholders in the company. And I think what's very interesting thing we're seeing with right now is where, for example, uh, Binance have created their own currency, uh, the Binance coin. What that kind of did was it... Like, for example, if Binance would censor all wallets and so on, could that affect the price of uh, Binance? Potentially, it could. So, and also blocking people, could it uh, affect the price on Binance coin? Potentially, it could. So they kind of made it 
because like a Binance coin is basically like a share in the company because they use as part of their profit to buy back Binance coins. Uh, and then you can use the same on their decentralized exchange. And you can use CrossWallet well, to do the Binance. Binance is a little different than something like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, sure, certainly those things you said right there are big differences. But there's also a component of centralization to their uh, BFT, their Byzantine Fault Trust uh, mining operation. So I can't, as a, as a decentralized user, spin up a Binance node and start mining and confirming transactions. You have to be part of a vetted and approved uh, set of nodes. And those nodes are subject to be shut down because they're known. So they could go into Binance tomorrow and arrest CZ and say, hey, you know, we're arresting you. We need you to tell us who all these people are. Will he, will he not? I don't know, but it's certainly not decentralized to the point where Bitcoin is, where it's like, you know, who are they going to arrest and who are they going to ask? That that question cannot be answered. You don't know who, who has one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't exist for Binance. So that's a little different of, a, of an equation. Yeah, no, definitely. It's um, it, it's that challenge and we will see what happens because with centralization, some parts of centralization comes efficiency and scalability and that is something that bitcoin right now is uh, well on binance you can send uh, you can do swaps you can do uh, crypto you can do play to earn games it's a much more efficient network does it come with some downsides of course um i'm not sure what will happen but i think it's it definitely has a part with the centralization uh, in, cert- in certain areas for efficiency. But then there will always be the diehard centralization maximalists. And I think there's different values in, in both of them because it, it depends a little bit what you value the most. You know, I would I would go as far as saying I'm not sure that decentralization, um, you know, when you're talking about like how to make things more efficient, it takes people. You know, I have a discussion with my, my friend Robert all the time. He goes, yeah, Bitcoin is the only truly decentralized, fully decentralized. I was like, oh, my God, I didn't know that the original uh, creators of Bitcoin wrote an algorithm that allowed Bitcoin to update its own code, release itself and modify its own code uh, in real time. And that nobody ever had to touch it again. I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me, teaching me something I didn't know. And he's like, no, it doesn't work like that. I'm like, Oh, how does it work? Oh, well people write code. Oh, okay. Who pushes that code to the, you know, the, the viable fork. A person? Oh, okay. Is that like two people, three? Oh, so it is centralized. Okay. So really what you're saying is the network is decentralized, but the, you know, the, the decisions made around what to push, how to push it, what's coded, what's reviewed, what makes it to production, that's all centralized. Okay. So, and I, I agree with you. I think that we have to have components of centralization and decentralization working together to bridge gaps for people. I think, you know, going back to my point about Coinbase, you know, Coinbase, and this is how at Bank Social we plan to do it. We don't want centralized wallet exchanges. Certainly could we, you know, profit more and make more money and, you know, be this kind of bad corporate citizen. Like on one hand, we're saying, oh, you know, the get away from the traditional banks. But on the other hand, we're just like trying to become a traditional bank just by using blockchain and crypto as the the focus buzzword. Uh, I don't, I don't, that doesn't fit right with me, but I agree with you that we have to have a centralization component and a decentralization component. And those components and the bridges need to exist uh, for mutual benefit and for the benefit of the community and the network that it serves with the primary focus and goal being efficiency of the network. I think you said that very beautifully that centralization tends to give uh, greater efficiency because there's a purpose for you trying to become more efficient. It's typically profit, right? That's why I think the prime example of where a centralized part 
did a massive, massive contribution to the network is Coinbase on Super Bowl with the QR code. Basically, millions of people, I think there were 22 million people that clicked. Yeah. On. 20 million, yeah. I think it was around 20 million people that clicked on the ad. 20 million learned about Bitcoin just from one centralized company that showed it to the masses. Have Coinbase done a lot of good for the ecosystem and made Bitcoin more secure? Definitely. Definitely. By having trusted parts that are uh, that are like Coinbase. And also Coinbase is a very good example of um, the, the, the CEO there said we are not going to be a political company. So they banned all politically, political discussions within the company. And then they, he said to all of them, all of the top employees, if you don't like this new policy, you can leave. Here is your check. Goodbye. And he but said, then he came out. But then he came out and he was political and saying, you know what? We're taking a political stance and we're not banning Russians. I'm playing politics. <laughs> Hypocrisy at its best. Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's not. A, I, I like his. I, I, it is. I like his. Uh, their, their ad was good. I thought he was very disingenuous by the way he came out and said that. You know, his teams came up with it and then some marketing company said, no, you just stole our idea and didn't pay us for it. And then he looked like an idiot there. I think he's, you know, he's not doing a very good job with uh, the way he's playing out. You know, he could have certainly came out and said, look, uh, I think the Kraken guy said, um, what's his name? Jer Jeremy Powell or Jerome Powell. He came out and said, hey, look, you know, your keys, your crypto. He kind of reiterated that. We didn't see that from Coinbase. I just... Um, you know, I think they could be doing things a lot different. Certainly, it helped to have the, the Super Bowl ad, but I think they could be doing things if they truly were uh, believers in the future of what crypto could do. Um, and part of their strategy may be like, make as money, much money as we can now so that we can help more in the future. Hopefully, that's their, uh, that's their strategy and goal. But since they've become public, I think they've lost that ability to make those decisions, you know, public company, some, you know, Carl Icon could come in tomorrow, short the shit out of your stock on some dark pool, drive the price of your, you know, shares down and then come in and buy, you know, the vast majority of it and say, okay, you're out of here. I'm going to turn this into a, a bank. Bye. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes. yeah. <laughs> so not a fan of Coinbase. If you can't tell Tim. Yeah. Myself, I'm a little bit, they have very high fees. Um, but I, I think there's always like a part of it because for most people, if you, most people would not be able to handle your own private key and me included. I lost, I think one private key, maybe four, four or five years ago when I was changing my phone. And then I had like saved the private key with, like I added some code words into the private key, but then I changed the phone and then it was erased, lost a few thousand, a few yeah, like a, a few thousand. Now it would have been quite a lot more, but that's too hard for the general population. And that's where the centralized exchanges, I think, have a role. But of course, it always is. It's always give and take, and, yeah, and it, it is both of it. It is. Look at what happened to Bitmart. And I know that you know Coinbase hasn't had a big uh, hack yet, but look at what happened to Bitmart. They were a pretty decent sized exchange. They had that $250 million hack and they haven't been able to, you know, give anybody their money back. You know, I, I, uh, I certainly state there was the potential to just because something is centralized. I think the big thing here that we got to keep in mind is none of it's FDIC insured. None of it. So, you know, to, to think that by going to a centralized exchange, you're in a significantly more secure position um, may not be the best way to look at this. I think your points about 
simpler. It makes it simpler, makes it easier. People don't have to keep their keys. That certainly is, is true. I agree with you 100% there. From the security standpoint, I think that's where you really have to draw the line and say, really, after that, you know, the security is uh, really out. And also, uh, you know, I've seen people like on Coinbase, for example, Coinbase rotates your keys. Uh, and so you'll have an address yeah. that is no longer the same address after a month. And I've had people lose money and come to me and say, you know, I sent it to this address. And I'm like, well, why did you send it there? They were like, well, that's where I was always sending my coins for the last month. And then all of a sudden it changed on me. So I think yeah. there are, you know, it's not, it's not as cut and dry as that. It's still, you know, and, and some of this is people are trying to figure it out still. There's still a strategy yeah. to figure it out. Yeah, that, I can throw in another, well, stat there to to make that sound small. About, I think there's, there was a study quite recently that estimated around 20% of all Bitcoin ha- that has ever existed are lost and yeah. can't be recovered. And that is around, what is it, 200 billion, uh, at least in crypto, that is lost from private keys, private wallets, people lost private keys, people lost private, and so on. So I, I, that, I think that makes, I can agree there, but there's so many Bitcoins and you hear all of the stories, people having old hard drives that store the keys. And then, so I, there's always ups and downs of on, on both, both things here. I think that, uh, I, Giving people the choice to choose between centralized and decentralized is where we are heading, and both have the, some some benefits and some some downsides. So it's 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 a balance, it's a give and take, and I think that's what we will see over the coming years as well. Even when more and more regulation comes in, I I, I know some uh, there was some talk like a, a year or two ago where. The regulation in Europe, at least, was going to be focused mostly on untraceable currencies. Monero, uh, was it Zcash? Yeah, which makes sense. That makes sense. I don't want, yeah, I don't want untraceable cash. Screw that. (laughs) You know, I want decentralized cash. Yeah, and I think that that was what happened because you can see some of these, like these, uh, these anonymous currencies basically went to went down a lot when Bitcoin has been going up. Why? Because I think people quite right away understood that it will never be able to scale. Why? Because untraceable cash, even like myself, that I'm like in deep into crypto, I'm a little bit like when I hear untraceable cash. From one way, I'm a little bit like, okay, what can happen? So many exactly. things wrong. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think inherently as humans, we don't, you know, when we hear untraceable, it, it's vulnerable. We feel vulnerable. When we hear decentralized freedom, that's a completely different thing. Like, I don't, I'm not here to do illegal stuff and the vast majority of people aren't. I just don't want to be sanctioned because I choose to live in a part of the world that's beautiful and the governments that control these places decide to get into a war. Like, why Why? Why should I be penalized for that? I was actually at the Texas Blockchain Council a, a couple months back. I was in a, a discussion or, or was listening to a discussion, rather, with the CEO of uh, or the former CEO of Boeing. And his big deal was that you know crypto doesn't give us bitcoin doesn't give governments and and these big boeings and stuff like that the ability to impose sanctions as easily and my big feedback to them was the sanctions you, you know putin doesn't give a shit about the sanctions that are being imposed against him right now it's all the people that are like screw this you know we're getting hurt we hate this it, putin doesn't care <laughs> You know, it's obvious. Look, yeah. I mean, no, no military. I mean, does Iran care? No, they're still doing the same shit. They're still making nukes. You know, does North Korea care? No, they've been sanctioned for, you know, 50 years. They don't give a shit. Like, when are we going to learn 
that sanctions, and I think the whole thing is, this is not, the, the move of sanctions is just a way for them to say we're trying something. It's not to actually do anything. It's just to say we're trying something. What they really want to do is build more bombs, drop more bombs, you know, rape and pillage as much as they can. And I'm a, you know, I'm a, uh, not a big fan of these wars, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to see what, what will happen. Um, and from my side, I actually have to, to leave here in a few minutes. Um, so let's go ahead and wrap it up. Tim, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I would love to do some more of these lives with you. Um, you know, I think we can, uh, we can do a little bit more together as we continue to move through. Um, thanks for coming on today. And I'll give you the last word. Yeah, no. Thank you so much for, for having me today. Very excite, exciting times. I, I think that the crypto market right now wants more clarity on regulation. Most people want to know why, why, where are we heading, what's going on, and so on. I think overall, whatever happens, there will always be a counter, like a counter reaction. If the if the if the news like the new regulation would be too hard, people will be very scared. Then there will always come other opportunities. So I think that it's very easy to look down and see like everything is going to they're going to ban everything, or that they are everything is going to be super well. I think we will find some balanced way forward. Um, and I'm very, very excited about the coming years for Bitcoin. And I've never been as optimistic as as I am right now. And seeing what it's doing, it's it's incredible. What what an invention that Satoshi Nakamoto came up with. I agree. I agree. Keep calm. Carry on. Your keys. Your crypto. Remember this, and your crypto will be safe for a long, long time, at least for the foreseeable future. Tim, thanks so much for coming on today. All the love, all the power, everybody. And we'll uh, see you guys very soon for the next Crypto Conquest. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day.